Hey, chiropractors, welcome to Modern Chiropractic Mastery with your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, where we discuss the latest in marketing, business, and professional growth with some of the leading experts in the industry. Welcome to another episode of Modern Chiropractic Mastery. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Christie, and today I'm excited to bring you a really in-depth marketing episode. And I've got Nicholas Kusmich as our guest, who is really one of the pioneers of the Facebook ads uh, movement that was started, you know, 2013, 2014. He was one of the original ones that was doing great work with it. And he had started a Facebook group around that as well that was massive and probably still is. And then he's just become a thought leader in that space, even as it has evolved. And we talk about that in this episode, the evolution of Facebook ads. We we really come at this, and, and I should say Nick comes at this from a, a marketing expertise, and then we we layer on Facebook ads and other aspects of marketing. So it's not only a Facebook ads episodes. It's a lot of great marketing information. But a lot of chiropractors remember the days when it was kind of the Wild West and it was... Uh, you know, kind of easy on Facebook ads. Some of us missed it. Some of us did it. Uh, I really kind of stuck with the content marketing aspect and I still have used Facebook ads in, in my practice. And actually after this episode with him, I sat down and, and laid out my new um, ads strategy coming up for this next quarter as it relates to Facebook ads, not necessarily Google ads. We've been doing that. We're going to continue that. But what I'm going to actually do, and I don't mind sharing it with you, is um, we're going to spend $1,200 per month on ads. Okay, It's a little bit more than what some of you would want to spend, a little bit less. That's what we've found to be a kind of a sweet spot for us, uh, given what we spend on Google ads, given what I spend on other marketing. I'm going to go with $1,200 a month, and I'm going to divvy that, divvy that up three different ways. I'm going to spend $400 on uploading my email list into uh, our ads manager and any of our patients that have that email address affiliated with their Facebook account will be the only one seeing our video content. And again, we're going to be using video content essentially. And then the second will be $400 towards anybody that's visited our website for the last 180 days. You kind of know how that works, right? You go onto nike.com to check out some shoes and next thing you know, you're getting ads on Facebook. And then the third is, is we're going to do a one to 2% lookalike audience of our email list. So we're going to try to attract new patients, but we're going to attract the ones that are very similar to our patient base. And we can do that because we'll have our email list and that is our patient base. And so that's what I'm going to be doing uh, for Q4 into Q1 of 2024. I'm going to give it six months, see how we roll with that. My goal is, is to stay top of mind awareness of our current patients. Anybody that has kind of kicked the tires with us maybe on our website, and then obviously get some awareness with new patients as well. And this particular episode with Nick really helped me kind of get clear on that and, and moving forward with it. And he brings just a lot of great information on ads. I know a lot of you have been reluctant. And if you have the marketing budget, which you should make sure you have a marketing budget, after this episode, you may be considering doing Facebook ads. Okay. So without further ado, here is my interview with Nicholas Kuzmich. All right. Welcome to the show, Nick. I really appreciate your time today. I'm excited to dive into Facebook ads, Facebook in general, probably ads, IG ads, all the all the fun stuff. It's changed over the last 
10 years. But before we dive into that, tell us about yourself personally and professionally, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Yeah, I'm Nicholas Kuzmich. And fortunately or unfortunately, I'm the only Nicholas Kuzmich on the planet I've found. There's no other ones. Uh, that's a good thing because it's easy to stand out. It's not a great thing because it's hard to spell my last name. So trying to find me is a little bit difficult. But uh, I live in the West Coast of Canada. I have two beautiful kids, a beautiful wife. Um, and we've been on the Facebook, now known as Meta Platform, literally since day one, since the platform came out in beta. And uh, we can get into more about that, that in just a second, but I call it my $100 million decision. I mean, uh, if you look over the last 20 years of us being on the platform, we've generated over $100 million um, in, in collective sales on the platform. And it's just been one heck of a ride. So I'm excited to talk about what's uh, what's all going on in that world. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, you know, back in the kind of wild west of Facebook ads, you were definitely one of the first ones getting at it and Facebook group around it and people were trying to figure it out. And you seem to have figured it out before a lot of other people did. Uh, take us back to that point where, you know, we, in our profession, we we kind of joke around. We call it the $27 all-you-can-eat chiropractic ads where it's like, <laughs> you know, you were trying to get a, a zillion people in for 27 bucks and then hopefully yeah. some would come in and and obviously buy your services and stuff. And it, yes. it just seemed like it was shooting fish in a barrel. So take us back to that point and then we'll go from there. Well, you're right. It was the wild, wild west many years ago. And what I mean by that is like Facebook's changed a lot because back then you could say whatever you want and do whatever you want and get away with it without any repercussions, essentially. Um, but I think what happened for me was I was a student of marketing well before Facebook ever came out. Like if you, if anybody knows the marketing game, if you go study the old greats, the Ogilvy's of the world, the people who wrote books before marketing online was even a thing. Like this is who I was being mentored by and this is what I was studying. And so when Facebook came out, I think what happened was the vast majority of people who would do what we call direct response marketing, tried to take direct response marketing and cut and paste what worked in like a, a postcard or a radio ad or a television ad or some sort of ad and just cut and paste that into the Facebook platform. And they're wondering why it wasn't working. And I think the reason we got some early success and were able to like ride this wave for the last over a decade is because we understand the principles of direct response marketing which I just, for those who may or may not understand what that is, it essentially is marketing that requires some sort of a call to action from the person who sees that marketing. Unlike what would be known as brand marketing, which is like a billboard up on the screen that says, hey, I'm a chiropractor, you know, uh, locally in this city. So direct response marketing, I, you know, it's a pr preference. I like it because you get to measure the effects of your marketing. You get to know if I spend a dollar today, how much do I make later on today, which is very powerful. But I think the key, like I was saying, was we understood direct response marketing, but I also understood the context of a social platform. Mm -hmm. And I think when you can marry the two together, understanding direct response marketing, but also understanding what a social platform is, that changes. And Kevin, do you mind just, uh, I'll give you a little example so people can understand what I'm talking about Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Perfect. But if you wake up in the morning and you go to amazon.com, I know that you have commercial intent. Nobody goes to Amazon generally to search for what to eat for dinner that night or, or some sort of a solution. If you go to Amazon, you go with credit card in hand. In fact, you don't even need your credit card because Amazon already has it. And you're going to go peruse things uh, that you're looking to buy. Once you find it, you're going to hit the button. It's going to check out and you're all good. And so it is completely logical for people on Amazon to try to sell you something because that is the purpose or the context of the platform. 
but nobody ever wakes up in the morning and goes on Facebook or Instagram and says, I wonder what I could buy today, like with credit card in hand and says, hmm, I'm looking for a chiropractor or I'm looking for a widget or I'm looking for a mug. That's not the case. People go on Facebook or Instagram to see what's up, to watch cat videos, to see what their grandchildren are up to, to kind of just like stay social, hence a social platform. So the marketers who go on a social platform and direct try to sell hard, that is oftentimes one of the greatest mistakes that people make. And so when you can just understand that Facebook and Instagram and these social networks are truly social platforms, but we are business people, the greatest skill you can understand is understanding a human behavior and be how to marry direct response marketing with social platforms. And I think that's why we've been able to get the results we have while others are still trying to figure it out. Yeah. And is that what you saw as far as kind of the evolution over, over time where it was, okay, we have to actually marry these two things for it to work. When did that start to come to, to reality? What years roughly was that? Well, I, I mean, I, I think it perpet what happened was, you know, I think Seth Godin used to say like marketers ruin everything. Mm -hmm. right? So what, what happened was early on <laughs> in the Facebook meta days, and some people may or may not know this, but you had the ability to scrape people's IDs. And what that meant was every Facebook profile has an ID and that ID connects you to the name and the person that you are. So in your case, it would be Kevin Christie. In my case, it would be Nicholas Kuzmich. But you could do things. And this is what the t-shirt people did. These are the first people who made a lot of money on Facebook advertising was you would go and you would scrape every ID of someone with the last name Smith. Yeah. And then you would go create a t-shirt that said Smiths are the best or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. you would only show that ad to people who had the last name Smith and people went bonkers. They're like, Oh my God, this ad, it's all about me. Uh, of course, Smiths are the best and whatever. And this became a very common thing with, uh, with a t-shirt company named Teespring back in the day. And literally you could customize a shirt, you could put them on and you could drop ship them so that anyone, as soon as someone buy it, be create on demand. And, people would sell hundreds of thousands of these things. Same sort of thing. Like if you were a, a Broncos fan or a, a yeah. 49ers fan or whatever, like you could customize this. And so this is what started to happen. But then smart marketers were like, well, if we could do that with last names, what if we could do it with first and last names? What if we could tell people who were driving Ford Pintos and show them ads about Ford Pintos? And what started to happen was the user base, the actual community of Facebook started to freak out a little bit. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. how is this happening? Where's my privacy going on? So it started to like stir up some, some issues. And of course, Facebook doesn't want to lose its community. So they started tightening the reins on what you can and cannot say. Yeah. Along with that came the whole Cambridge Analytica thing where information was leaked and so on and so forth. And Facebook then had to like tighten the reins even more and say, hey, privacy is a real thing. We, we can't do certain things. We can't say certain things. We can't, you know, that sort of stuff. And they also realized that a lot of direct response marketers and, and pardon my language, but just make shit up all the time. They're like, you know, it'd be the equivalent of a chiropractor saying, hey, did you get in a car accident and break your back yesterday? In one visit, I can fix that and you'll be running a marathon tomorrow. And there were no regulations around direct response marketing, what you could and could not say. And so Facebook started to have to step in and be like, whoa, 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 wait a second. You can't violate people's privacy. You can't make people feel uncomfortable because then they're going to leave the Facebook platform. And three, you can't make unsubstantiated claims. You can't make promises that don't actually work or aren't true. And so this narrowed down 
the direct response marketing world because they were always known for making ridiculous claims of things that were only half true. Mm -hmm. So this started to happen. And it wasn't a certain date. This started to happen over time, over time, the Cambridge Analytica thing. And now... Facebook is an advertising platform that's very protective of their community. You can't you can't even say, are you struggling with back pain yeah. anymore? Because that triggers a negative response in the person reading it. It also makes that person feel like their privacy is violated. And so you have to get a little bit creative and smart. But here's what I love about this, Kevin, what people don't understand. People are like, oh, do you remember the good old days of Facebook where you could say anything and do anything? Mm -hmm. Sure. But it also meant you could be a really lazy marketer and not know what you're doing and still find success. Today, that's not the case. Like laziness doesn't work anymore. You got to know what you're doing. You got to understand human psychology. And then you can start to use platforms like this to really build your brand, your influence and get people in this case, maybe into your clinic or whatever else that you're selling there. Yeah. And that was something that I saw as the evolution as, as I got into marketing for chiropractors, I really focus on content marketing, which obviously sure. can be an overall strategy. And then and then you got the platforms and, and all the different aspects there. But one of the things I saw was a lot of chiropractors getting frustrated and then blaming Facebook, Facebook ads. They don't work, right? It's right. Just like it worked. Now it doesn't work. Right. And it was, I think it was probably a sloughing off of that lazy marketer or that, that group. There was a lot of groups targeting chiropractors specifically. And those particular Facebook ads managers didn't really know what they were doing. It, it was really right. easy, like you said, and then it wasn't. And they weren't getting the same results. And so a lot of chiropractors just, frankly, they exited uh, Facebook ads, right? Sure. They just exited. And I, and I think that wasn't the, the right way of doing it. And I think now there, there's obviously some strategies that would work for them. And, and many of them just haven't given it even a chance uh, since then. And so I want to try right. to change that narrative a, a yeah. little bit there. All right, Docs, here is a new opportunity for you from Darcy Sullivan of Propel. She is our SEO specialist in helping out many chiropractors uh, with their search engine optimization and making sure Google is finding you and getting you new patients. It's amazing how many new patients chiropractors can get and are getting when they do uh, the SEO right and a few other things. And Darcy is offering a free SEO workshop just for chiropractors, and you can sign up for that at bit.ly bit.ly slash propel mcm that is bit.ly bit.ly propel mcm modern chiropractic marketing right and so check out that link and we're going to have you go over five seo secrets to owning the first page of google uh, without buying ads and darcy's going to give that free workshop one hour to really help grow your practice and start churning new patients from the ever mighty Google, which is still king in the online marketing. So check that out at bit.ly slash propel MCM for the one hour free workshop. Let's take a short break for one of our great sponsors, TrackStat. It is a new type of software plugin for your EHR that combines patient communication, marketing, automation, and statistics with patient and employee tracking. Built by chiropractors for chiropractors, it shows your team what to focus on each day. See patient visit habits, missing information, unpaid bills, insurance collection visit average, and more. Great visibility of data so you can focus on filling your office with your best patients. When you can see what your staff and patients are doing or not doing and take action accordingly, your profits naturally grow. Take TrackStat for a test drive in your office with our free trial. Not a techie, no problem, we can help. To get started, 
On your free trial, visit trackstat.org and watch the demo. That is trackstat.org. One of the things I want to touch on, because you brought up the Amazon example, I would love to, if you could, also give me a kind of a counteracting of the difference between Google ads and Facebook ads, because I know that's different intent as well. And I'd love to, to, to settle that little one there, and then we can go back into the Facebook ads. Sure. Uh, great question. So Google-based ads are what we call query-based ads. And the reason that they have great efficacy is because if someone is going to go type in best chiropractor in Nashville, they're obviously already looking for a chiropractor. They already already live in Nashville, and they're already looking for what they would deem the best, right? So just by that very action of what they're typing into the platform, Google says, hey, this person over here lives in Nashville looking for a chiropractor. Why don't we show them or distribute ads to the top bidder who's willing to display an ad to them? So query-based ads, super effective in the sense that um, you have people who have already risen their hand, shown their intent, and know what they're looking for. The two downfalls, if you will, from that is A, scalability, because you don't know how many people are in fact typing in a certain search term. And secondly, cost. Like if you were to try to compete for the term best chiropractor in Nashville from a paid ads perspective, that term would be very expensive. Again, depending on the, the search volume, but let's say it's a high search volume. It's a very key short tail word. It's going to cost a lot. So at the end of the day, if the economics work out so that you can have a great ad targeted to those keywords, you could bring those people into your clinic and service them then I would do that all day long, considering that there's enough scalability. Mm-hmm. On the alternative, Facebook is not query-based. No one's going into Facebook per se and typing in, you know, best chiropractor in Nashville. So it's more of interruption marketing. It's this idea of the person may not be looking for it, but here's what I, I like about Facebook in that sense, is that most people's guards are down, Right. Because they're on Facebook and yes, they see a lot of ads, but they're there again to see what their grandkids are doing. They're there to see the latest updates on their community endeavors and all that kind of stuff. And then so if you have a well-articulated ad that is targeted to the right person that has a high probability of intent, then you almost like slip under the radar and be like, hey, and the, the perfect scenario for Facebook ads, and this is why they designed their targeting to be so specific, is that in a perfect world, every ad you see should make you feel like, oh my God, this is exactly what I wanted. Thank you, Facebook, for showing it. Now, not every marketer is that smart and not every algorithm is that perfect, but like even my newsfeed, I'm getting to the point where I don't really mind 80% of the ads because Facebook has gotten to know me so well that the things they're showing me, I'm like, you know what? I could use this. Thanks for thinking about it. That's perfect. I need to take advantage of it. Now, there's 20% where I'm like, bloody hell, they got it so wrong. But the point is, that's what Facebook's algorithm was designed to do. It's to understand, let's say uh, you, Kevin, were like going along Facebook and you're clicking on things and you're interacting with things. That's training the algorithm to let them know about who you are and what you enjoy and what you're looking for so that it can display relevant content and relevant information to you. So that's kind of the main difference between, let's say, Facebook interruption type ads. And I know that that word sounds negative. Don't see it that way. Or Google query base where people are searching and looking into certain terms, which then bring up certain uh, relevant content as a result of those. I've got a a personal story and and question on that. Is is Facebook going through your camera to see anything by any chance? And I'm going to tell you the story first before you answer it because last night i like a glass of bourbon at night not every night but some nights and typically it's a woodford reserve but i was out and didn't get to the store and so i found this little bottle of angel's envy that i had gotten from a restaurant on like a father's day thing 
Okay. And I opened it up and I poured it and, you know, and I didn't say anything. My wife wasn't there. I just poured it. There was no, there was no words being said. I shit you not. 30 minutes later, I got an angel's envy ad on my Facebook and then another, like a Woodford reserve from there. By any chance, are they going through the camera? So Facebook will never admit, uh, nor I think are they think they're allowed to admit, um, that they're utilizing the microphone on your phone or your computer or anything like that, or, you know, the camera. But we all know that when we sign up for these free platforms, most of us don't read the terms and conditions of the privacy and what's included. And oftentimes says, and you'll even see it on your phone, allow Facebook to utilize your microphone, allow Facebook to utilize your camera, allow Facebook to utilize this. And so you're not, you're, if anyone who heard your story, Kevin is going to say, you know what? Yeah. I think they're also listening to my Google home and my Alexa and my this and my that, because it, on top of that, actually, they also know who you hang out with, like proximity when your phone is in certain geographical locations and you are hanging out with other people who have the Facebook or the Instagram uh, Instagram app on their phone. They recognize that and they start. It, it, it's almost creepy, but we've got to realize yeah. that when we are utilizing a free product, we are the product. Yeah. OK, so this idea of privacy is long gone. If you use Gmail, if you use Facebook, if you use Instagram, essentially kiss your privacy goodbye because you've agreed to allowing them to take all your data. So short answer is Facebook will never admit it. But if you look at deeply into their terms of service of what you allow them to utilize on your devices and your microphones and cameras and all that, um, there's high probability and we can, and the evidence supports it, uh, that they are watching, looking, clicking, listening, all of the above to make sure again. And I just want to say this, the objective is try to present to you a great experience when you're on their platform. Because sure, that may have been creepy, but the fact that like now Facebook knows you like bourbon, um, and if they show you some great ads or some great deals of the favorite bourbon you like, you're not going to complain about that no. necessarily. Yeah. So that's the idea behind it, but sometimes it goes sideways and <laughs> makes that's people funny. feel a little yeah, uncomfortable. Just, it's just funny how that happened. But um, all right, cool. So let's say, let's put you in an alternate universe. You're you, you graduate chiropractic school. You've uh, <laughs> yeah. put yourself into $250,000 of student loan debt to do that. You've <laughs> taken on another business loan, another 100K uh, you from have the to mafia, open up the office. From the mafia yep. to open up a chiropractic okay. practice. What would you do from a Facebook ad strategy to, to really try to generate some new patients and some, some overall awareness to, to get that practice going? Yeah. So, uh, so here, I love the question, but I'm going to answer it a little bit sideways before we get into the actual Facebook stuff, Mm -hmm. because here's what I understand, not just about chiropractors, but about everybody who's marketing anything is that oftentimes there's an illusion that says Facebook is like pixie dust, right? It's magical Tinkerbell's pixie dust where you just sprinkle it over whatever we got. And magically all this beautiful thing happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is not the case at all. And so one of the things that I recognize, this is just, again, The difference between understanding just human psychology and marketing versus using a tool like Facebook to help with that marketing. So if I was a chiropractor just coming out of college, just, you know, have all this debt, started my own practice. The first thing I would do is figure out how to differentiate myself from every other chiropractor in my city, Mm -hmm. Um, because you will be compared to every other chiropractor in your city. Right. And until you have a, a, a big enough client base that's going to like really rev up the referral traffic and that sort of thing, or your channel traffic or your partner traffic, because you don't have a reputation yet, you need to stand out. 
Because the worst thing you can do on Facebook or any platform that for that matter, if you're going to run radio ads or whatever, is if you look like, smell like, taste like, everything else like everybody else in your industry, you're going to lose right from the very beginning. And it's something that's, that uh, category pirates call it category design. I call it creating a category of one. Mm -hmm. But you have to look at every industry and realize that it's usually one or two people or one or two businesses in every single niche or category or industry that dominate and eats up 74% of the actual market share, which means 99% of the rest of the competition is fighting for the bottom 20 plus percent of an industry. So what does that mean? Let's just give you some like examples that people would understand and then we'll drive it home for the chiropractor. If, if I were to say ride sharing, which is a category, it's a niche, it's an industry, if I were to say who's the category king or queen of ride sharing, most people's first thought to mind would come with Uber because Uber created the category and then they dominated the category. And yes, there's secondary markets in there. There's Lyft and all these other guys, but they're all competing for second. Uber dominates and they win. Uh, another example is if we were to say something like on-demand streaming, mm -hmm. immediately what should come to mind is Netflix, category king. Yes, there's Hulu, Disney+, Plus, Crave, all this other stuff, fine. But they're all fighting for second place because Netflix created a problem. And here's the interesting point. They created a problem, they named that problem, and then they had people buy into the problem. Because there was a time, Kevin, I don't know if you remember, there was a time where when we wanted to watch our favorite show, we had to wait till Wednesday at 7 p.m. to be able to watch it, right. right? And that was called appointment viewing. And we thought that was normal. Then a company like Netflix comes around and says, how absurd is it that we have to wait once a week to watch one episode of our favorite show? What if we could watch all the episodes of our favorite show in one sitting, they created this idea of binge watching or on-demand streaming. They didn't even sell Netflix. They sold the problem. Mm -hmm. On-demand streaming is the solution to appointment viewing. What happened? They automatically became the category king and they dominated the space. So the point here I'm trying to say is Seth Godin even calls it like that purple cow idea. Yep. Right. If you're driving in the forest and you're looking at not in the forest, in the meadows and you're driving, you see black and white cow, black and white cow, brown cow, brown cow, black and white cow, brown cow. And then all of a sudden you see a purple cow. What are you going to do? You're going to stop. You're probably going to get out. You're probably going to take a selfie picture with it. Then you're going to post it on social and tell all your friends. Why? Because it stands out. It's remarkable or in other words, worth remarking about. Same sort of thing has to happen for every business. So if you're a chiropractor and you're just like, we do adjustments. Mm -hmm. Okay, like, great. We help you with back pain. Like, that's not going to cut it anymore. So I think one of the key things that Kairos should consider doing, and the easiest thing for them to do, is to niche down and become very specific. And I'm very passionate about this because chiropractic care is something that's a very important part of my life. And I moved from Toronto to the now city I live in, in Kelowna, BC. Uh, and one of the first things I looked for was a barber and a chiropractor. Um, and so when I was looking for chiropractors, I realized I'm a very particular kind of individual. I look for chiropractor, uh, chiropractic care, not as a solution to a problem, but as preventative for my, my, my whole overall well-being. I look for um, people who are treating 
people who would consider themselves like me. So I'd call myself like an amateur athlete or a weekend warrior. I'm not a professional athlete by any means, but I'm certainly not the lazy you know, guy who sits on his desk all day and does nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm actively involved in sports. I want someone who understands that game. Um, I also want someone to like respect my time. Uh, time is more valuable than money to me. So I'll pay top dollar for me to just come in, get whatever I need done and get out. I also respect and value um, progress. And so when I came to Kelowna and I was searching for a chiropractor, I had to visit five different chiropractic offices before I landed on the one that I was on. But the main issue I was saying is like, for example, if I walk into a chiropractic office and I'm looking for like someone who helps weekend warriors and everybody in there is 65 plus, I'm going to leave. Now, it's not to say you shouldn't serve the 65 plus group, but it's to say like, if, if that's who you focus on, then you're not for me because I don't fit into that category. So I think the first thing that chiros need to do is get very specific about who they serve. What niche is it? Is it athletes? Is it older people? Is it insurance? Is it not? Is it um, uh, men? Is it women? Is it certain back issues or do you focus on sciatica or like whatever just be very clear about who it is that you help so that when someone stumbles across that your ideal prospect they're gonna be like oh these guys are for me hands down no questions asked these are for me mm -hmm. so i think that's the starting point once you do that then your marketing becomes exponentially easier because now you're not saying, hey, let me show you how I can crack a back or let me show you how I can do this or why chiropractic is important, which is another thing, by the way, I think chiropractors have to decide, are you going after a person who's familiar with chiropractic and has done it before, in which case your languaging would be very different than someone who's never done it. And then you have to convince them that it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Like there's all these things you just need to get ultra clear on. But once you're ultra clear on them, marketing's easy. Because if you go out and say, hey, we are the number one chiropractors that focus on sciatica in Nashville, and we work with only uh, 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 women between this age and this age. Now, you don't have to be that specific, mm -hmm. but you get where I'm going with it. Yeah. When your content and your marketing and your languaging and your scenery, if you're going to shoot videos and it's got the scenery that that works for your people and mm -hmm. so on and so forth, then the marketing is so much easier. And then the person in their cognition by seeing some content and some ads like that are like, Oh, of course, these guys are for me. That I, I I fit into that category, and then again, we can start getting into some ad stuff. So I know I kind of like derailed no, that a little bit. But no, that was perfect. Because, no, that's something I'm I'm glad you talked about because one of the things that I think a lot of chiropractors don't understand is that it's still about you know getting the congruent messaging with the congruent audience and then creating content around that. Now, would you yes. say video is is kind of the most effective for chiropractors uh, with running I, video? Ads I think or Facebook a hundred percent because. In any service-based industry where you're going to want to know who you're working with, yeah. um, there's everyone knows the old ad old saying of like, we do business with people we know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. and one of the fastest ways to create no liking and trusting and no like and trust simply means I don't know you and now I know you. So I'm familiar with you. It's familiarity. Liking means not that I just, I like you as a human being. We mm -hmm. work with people we don't necessarily like as human beings, but I am like you. Like I, 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 there's a liking element to it. And then there's a trust element. So video allows you to do that a lot faster because if someone can see you, they get your personality, they hear your tonality, they see what your office is like, they see how you operate and how you work. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you go from unfamiliar to familiar. You go to, Oh, I kind of liked something about that office or that space or whatever. And I trust that person because the content that they're giving me is relevant to me. Now, all of a sudden with one simple 30 second video ad, you've accomplished way more than you could with any kind of like text-based or just audio-based type of uh, conversation or communication. 
Yeah, that's perfect. And uh, and I'm glad you answered that way. Um, and then from a video length standpoint, I know it's it can probably judge, what would you give a, a range on that for these particular ads? Yeah, well, because Meta has many different uh, uh, platforms that you could place on. So you could place on Instagram, mm -hmm. you can place on Facebook, you could place in video feeds, you could place on the news feed, you can place on reels, you can place on stories. What we generally say is if that can be 30 to 60 seconds long, mm -hmm. you're kind of allowing that video to be played in the most amount of platforms within the Meta platform as much as possible. And again, we've got to remember like TikTok changed the game for people's attention spans. TikTok reels are like 15 seconds long. And this is now what's kind of programmed into a lot of people. Now, even if your demographic is older, 60 or 65 plus, and they're spending any time on the internet, they're seeing 15 second bits and bites and this and that and movement and this and whatever. So recognizing that the, the attention spans are a lot lower, mm -hmm. people want you to get straight to the point and be very succinct. Um, you know, 30 seconds, 15, 30 seconds is great. Anything less than a minute is ideal, but you don't really want to go any longer than that because you'll you'll essentially start losing people. Okay, perfect. And then really, what would you say? Let's just take a regular size city, not something as big as Nashville, not mm -hmm. something as small as, you know, a farm town in Iowa. What would be kind of your minimum effective dose of money per month to run ads to where you're going to really get a little bit of traction there? Yeah, so I love this question. And there's two ways to answer it because we get this question all the time when people come to say, well, Nick, what should my starting budget be? To be honest with you, if you're very much starting out, I have an answer and we'll give that in just a second. Yep. But budgets are arbitrary numbers mm -hmm. because it doesn't actually matter. What we're looking for are the economics. So you want to factor in the economics and say you want to reverse engineer everything. So if you say, mm -hmm. okay, if somebody comes into my clinic and says yes to my care plan that I pres prescribe to the people. Um, assuming you're good and you can get him on a long-term care plan. The first question you want to ask is what is my lifetime value of a typical patient or client, mm -hmm. right? If I know that the typical client is going to spend $1,200 with me over the duration of the year, that gives you a starting point on your economics. Okay. $1,200 is the starting point of a general person who stays with us a year. And we know that 60% of people stay with us for a year because of how we structure our care plans. Great. Then if, if your method, and maybe we could talk about this or maybe not, doesn't matter. But mm -hmm. let's say your method is a free consultation or a $27 initial consultation, mm -hmm. right? Because that's what we see happen a lot. Yeah. Then you also want to figure out the math of how many of those consultations do you need to have mm -hmm. in order for you to score one long-term care plan, yeah. right? And this is just simple numbers. It's I need to have 10 of those to get one. Okay, mm -hmm. good. So we know that one is worth $1,200. We know you need to have 10 $27 initial consultations to get one long-term plan. Let's just say that that's the case. Then we want to ask if I'm running ads, how much does it cost me to get one $27 consultation? Mm -hmm. Does it cost me a hundred dollars? Does it cost me $300? Does it cost me $27? The answer doesn't matter because all you're doing is reverse engineering the $1,200 the 10 people, it cost me $100 to get that person in the room. Okay, great. So it'll cost me, let's just say it cost me $100 to get a person to, to say yes to a, a, a free consultation. And you know you need 10 to get one. You're essentially spending $1,000 to get a $1,200 customer. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Now, some people say absolutely not. Some people say yes. There gives you a lot of margin and room to figure stuff out. Well, how do we get the $1,200 to $1,600? How do we get the one to five instead of one of 10? 
right? And all these numbers. But once you have those numbers, then marketing is easy. Because if you were to say, well, what is my budget then? What do I have to spend? Well, it doesn't matter if you know your economics. I, you could spend up to, let's say, $100 to get someone to say yes to initial consultation. Mm -hmm. And then the question really becomes, well, how many initial consultations do you want a day? If you want five, then you got to spend $500 a day. If you want mm -hmm. one, you spend $100 a day. If you want five in the week, you spend $500 a week. And so it's simple math, right? Now, if we go all the way back then to the person who just started, who doesn't know those numbers and say, hey, we just got to start somewhere. I will implore everybody and encourage everybody. The first thing you need to do is once you start advertising, get those numbers dialed in. Cause that's, mm -hmm. it removes all the emotion out of advertising. I know I could spend a hundred dollars to get a free consult. Okay, let's do that. Um, so as a starting point, what I generally like to say is if you can allocate a thousand dollars for your first week or two, that's usually more than enough. If you're a chiropractor to start, that's usually well amply more than enough to get a sense of how much it's going to cost to get one person to say yes to a free consult. Because you're going to run that, you know, thousand dollars over seven to fourteen days, and you're going to say, "Oh, we got thirty-seven consults. Great. Take the thousand divided by thirty-seven. Now you know that's how much it costs per consult. Yep. Great." And so I would say you need you need you don't want to be starting with these five or ten dollar a day budgets. They're not going to do anything for you. Yep. But you also don't want to be spending a thousand dollars a day because then you can lose your shirt. Yep. So I'd say anywhere between like fifty and a hundred dollars a day for the mm -hmm. first little while until you get to about a thousand dollars is going to give you everything you need. And here's what I'll just say to to tie a bow on that. Yep, you are investing in data. Mm -hmm. You're not losing money. This is an investment in data. Because once you get that data back, then you'll be very clear on what needs work and what you need to tweak and what you need to work on. Mm -hmm. And then once you get the economics dialed in, you can literally run it like clockwork and know that every time I spend $100, I'm going to make $150. To me, that's good math. Let's spend $100 as much as we can every single day. That makes a lot of sense. And and uh, one, one quick question on... Obviously, ads manager versus, say, boosted posts. Is that still a big difference between the two for our audience? Yeah, I love that. I love that. So what I tell people is that um, a boosted post on Facebook or Instagram is Facebook's way to make money off people who don't know what they're doing, right? Because it's just, it's, think about it. They make it so easy. There's a big blue button that says boost, and you can yeah. say, yeah, yeah, just push the button, and it'll it'll be 20 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever. And Facebook's just like, chiching. we'll just collect that 20 or 50 bucks, and you see zero results from it, and you're wondering, what the heck is going on? So there is um, something to say about running an ad properly versus just donating to, uh, I call it Facebook philanthropy. It's like yeah. donating to the Zuckerberg fund, uh, just for kicks. Like I we don't want to do that. It's like the, the boosted post is like the slot machine in Vegas. And then ha actually having really good ads management is like playing at the, you know, the, the real poker tables with the, with the sharks in there. <laughs> it's like, now you no, really are playing. It's a great way to put it. I, I, I like it. And again, you could choose. Do you want to, do you want to press the button at the slot machine and hope for the best? Or do you want to <laughs> develop the skill? And I will even say this, like, I think another problem with a lot of business owners, and, and we're just talking chiropractors in this context, obviously, is that the reason they don't want to do stuff like this is because they feel like they have to learn something and then they're never going to be an expert at it. They just spent all these years to become a chiropractor. Now what they need to spend another X number of years to be a marketer. So there's something to say about either investing in people who will do it for you, investing in a team member who can then learn it, but that's their main focus. So I will suggest like to, to stay in your area of genius as a chiropractor, you don't need to know how to do this. You just need to know 
the, the generality high level of it so that if you're hiring someone, whether it's a vendor, an agency, an in-house person, your office manager, whoever it is, that you know enough to ask the questions you need to ask in order for this to be done properly. Yeah. And that's one thing I, I've been a member of strategic coach for 10 years. And so one Perfect. of their concepts with who, not how and a book, a book they wrote, I, I try to really hammer that into my audience and people that I coach uh, with chiropractors, like, look, you got to find the who's to to do it and, and, and do it right. And so um, I'm going to ask just one more question from strategy standpoint, a lot of chiropractors sure. have a nice list of emails from their current and past patients. Sure. And maybe it's 3000, maybe it's 10,000 emails in there. I know with Facebook, you can add that email list into an audience and you can yes. put content around people that already know, like, and trust you, like you mentioned. Yes. Um, do you like that strategy for chiropractors as far as like, just, you know, reactivations of your current patients, you know, referrals. Cause I, obviously if Mary's husband's complaining of headaches and Mary sees your video, there's a higher chance they're going to refer her husband in there. If she didn't see it, what are your thoughts on that strategy? Yeah, I love that. So I think there's a couple of things to do. If a chiropractor actually has a list of past customers or people who've risen their hand to say, I'm interested in your offer. Um, I think there's two things you can and should do. One is the old Dean Jackson nine word email. Everybody knows it. And if you don't, you should learn it now, but it's a reactivation technique that simply says, uh, you know, let's, let's call it Mary. You say, write her an email that says, Hey, Mary, are you still interested in chiropractic care? Or you could ask it in another way. Hey, Mary, are you still interested in overcoming your back or your neck pain? Right. And just wait for someone to respond, get in a dialogue with them and get them in, you know, with some sort of an irresistible offer back into the clinic to be able to set something up. Um, you also nailed the great point. It's if you want to categorize, I, I categorize traffic on Facebook as tier one, tier two and tier three audiences. Tier one, we would consider low-hanging fruit warm audiences. Mm -hmm. A great warm audience is obviously uploading your list to Facebook and saying, hey, Facebook only show my ad to this list. Mm -hmm. And then you can be very specific about your messaging because these are people who already know you. They already like you. They've already been in your world. You don't have to convince them of anything. You can maybe just let them know of a special that's going on. Hey, Thanksgiving is coming up or Christmas or holidays are coming up. Uh, we want to make sure that you're in the best care and the best, taking the best shape of your life. Why don't you come in? We've got a special thing going on or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so custom audiences, i.e. list that you upload is a great you know, warm tier one. Another thing is if you have a website and maybe you're doing Google ads, or maybe you just have a website and people are visiting from Yelp or a review site or whatever, another great custom audience that, that you could target are people who visit your website. Yep. So you can create, again, we don't have to get into details of mm -hmm. this, but Facebook gives you the ability to set up an audience that says everybody who's visited my website in the last 180 days or less, show them an ad. So that's, that's a great warm audience. So you want to be thinking about tier one audiences as anybody who is warm and somewhat familiar with you, who's already in your world on some level. And, you know, you can promote something that way. Tier two audiences are, are what I would call like not low hanging fruit, not cold, but not warm. So in between, let's call them like lukewarm audiences. And mm -hmm. these are people who are most likely interested in what you have to offer, but they just don't know you yet. And that could be uh, uh, understood by asking three F questions. I'd like to ask it. You can ask of my ideal prospect, who do they follow on mm -hmm. Facebook? What do they, uh, where do they frequent and what do they fund? So if we can say, Hey, uh, again, let's say someone's got back pain. Maybe they're reading a certain medical publication. That's all about back pain. Okay. So if they're following that individual, who's all really well known for back pain specialists or a brand that sells a back pain solution, you're like, Oh, 
that person would probably be interested in chiropractic. Mm -hmm. So let's target them. Uh, frequent, where do they frequent? What, what, uh, um, are they going to certain clinics? Are they going to certain conferences or events? Are they reading certain books? Are they reading certain online publications? Right. Um, if you know that they're looking at these kind of things, and obviously they might be interested in your offer, or what do they fund? In other words, where do they spend money? Are they buying products that help them with posture? Mm -hmm. Are they buying ergonomic chairs? Are they buying whatever? Um, obviously, those people who spend money in these spaces might also be looking at chiropractic. So that's what we would call like our tier two-ish audiences, mm -hmm. then our tier three are direct cold. So this would be less, less, again, I don't know why I'm using Nashville. I've never even actually been there. Um, but Nashville, <laughs> as an example, let's just say you blast all of Nashville yeah. um, within a certain age demographic or whatever, mm -hmm. and throw your ad there. These are cold, but you'll still maybe scoop up some people in that category. So again, I think it's important for everyone who's going to be considering ads that you can mm -hmm. go tier one, tier two, and tier three audiences and go after your tier one first your tier two second and your tier three, if you just started running out of people. Yeah. With, with that tier three, if you feel good about your current patient base and that email list is uh, an audience that you've, you know, that you like, and those are the types of people that you like to have in your practice, would you recommend maybe a lookalike audience for that? Absolutely. And yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Like a, a lookalike, it's simply an audience where um, you say, Facebook, take this data set. Mm -hmm and match people as best you can to people who are like this people. And sometimes Facebook gets it right, sometimes not so much, yeah. depending on how big that data set is, the more accurate it is. But yeah, that would be a great tier three audience, a lookalike audience where people who are just like your current clients mm -hmm. are, are probably, there's a percentage of them who are going to want your offer as well. Yeah. Well, Nick, this was awesome. This was a ton of great information and, and sticking with that theme of, of who, not how, how can our audience reach out to you, find out more about what you guys are doing and how you could help them out to actually do this the right way. Yeah, I appreciate that. So I think there's one of two ways that you could do that. One is our, our value-based way. And that means I have a, a newsletter that goes out every Thursday morning. It's called The Bottom Line. Um, if you subscribe to that, you get a, an email every week with some latest and greatest marketing tactics that are going on. You also get a free copy of my book, Give, which I'll send to you by even subscribing to that. And all you need to do to do that is go to NK Newsletter. Again, nknewsletter.com. Subscribe there. You can kind of find out what we're doing in the world there. Um, the alternative is if you say like, hey, I like this conversation. I want to consider what it means to, to work with someone and help us with our marketing and that sort of thing. Your other alternative is to go to work with Nick. So work with NIC. Dot com. There's a brief kind of form there. You just fill it out. It gives us a little bit of an idea of what you're up to and what you need help with. Um, and then I or one of my associates will give you a call. We'll have a conversation to see if we can help. And if we can, we'll invite you to get involved. If we can't, we'll point you in the right direction. So um, those are your kind of two options, depending on what it is that you might be looking for. Perfect. That was great. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. And I really thank you for your expertise today. No, of course. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Kevin. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And if you want to make the shift from busy, broke, and broken to time-free and cash-confident, or you just want to continue with the exponential growth, check us out at modernchiropracticmarketing.com. Look at the MCM Mastery tab, watch the short video on there, and check out what we are doing now for evidence-informed chiropractors. We are equal parts coaching and marketing done for you. Yes, you shoot some videos. We help you with campaign strategies and ideas and really become a thought leader in your community. You shoot those videos, you send them to us. We produce, edit, and brand them to you. Then we distribute them through all of your channels. 
We also take them and we turn it into one good blog per month. And every other month we have Darcy Sullivan producing a robust blog with a topic that you pick from her database to help with your SEO. So we essentially become your content marketing agency to make sure your practice is always having ethical, elegant content marketing to help grow your practice. On the coaching side, we also help you with everything from marketing ideas to business, communications, finances, anything practice growth, and really try to help prevent you from being stuck on that island. And we hold you accountable. We have a great group of doctors that are just doing amazing things. And we look forward to help you out to take that next step in your practice. So again, check us out at modernchiropracticmarketing.com and learn more.